welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are here today to talk about the uh, new show, Jupiter's Legacy, and we have the co-director of photography. We have cinematographer Nicole Hirsch-Whitaker here to talk with us. Nicole, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, let's see. I guess I am a cinematographer. That's true. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California, and... Um, I am just, uh, right now I was just telling Ian I'm prepping a couple other jobs uh, to be uh, one of them to shoot with Netflix as well. So that's pretty exciting. And um, yeah, I don't know. What else would you like me to tell you, <laughs> tell you about myself? We always think we're so boring. Well, I guess we, I mean, a great place to start with that would be uh, how you got involved with uh, Jupiter's Legacy. Sure, sure. So um, so Steve DeKnight, who was our showrunner and creator of the show, was a huge fan of a show called Patriot that I had worked on. And um, so he basically reached out because he he actually admitted to me it was really funny in our first interview. He's like, I don't want to talk about Jupiter's legacy. I want to talk about Patriot. So that was really fun. So we probably talked about Patriot for a half an hour. And then he's like, do you want to shoot my show? He basically like asked me nothing. He's just like, I love your work on that. I know you'll bring something really special and unusual to this show that, you know, we wouldn't normally think of doing because um, I don't come from that world. It's not my genre that I'd ever worked in before. So he was just uh, really wanting to collaborate with myself and someone else to do something different. So I think so. Jupiter's Legacy had been on my radar for a few months before it premiered. Uh, this show, we cover comic books a lot. Uh, long-time listeners will know in my free time, I read about four or five comic books a day. Uh, it's my favorite activity to unwind. And I, I had co- I'd constantly kind of been wondering about... The biggest question I had heading into the show was really the aesthetic because uh, we're in this kind of era of... there's practically a new superhero show each week which is pretty remarkable for somebody who grew up basically we had we had smallville and that was about it Uh, right so and you know in the emerging years uh since we've had a like you know weekly daily superhero content there's been some kind of patterns like the arrowverse has its own kind of aesthetic the mcu has its own kind of aesthetic Jupiter's Legacy is very, you know, you you manage to kind of carve out a niche that is uh, very different from a lot of other shows. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like sort of the prep work into framing this and in, in relate? I mean, there's just this this genre is getting more and more crowded, and um, to to kind of bring something that felt new is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll have to say I was really excited when I started watching the new Marvel shows also. And I know obviously this is direct competitor for that, but, you know, just what they did um, going so far outside the box with WandaVision. And, you know, I think I think what what we were trying to do going into this was, you know, to be very true to what Mark Miller had written and what they had drawn and sort of the aesthetic of the characters, you know, especially what they did way before I was involved with wardrobe and hair and makeup um, and the different looks of the characters, you know, not trying to make them into something that they weren't actually on the page. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of shows have been really good with that in terms of not taking the viewer, you know, trying to make them feel like they're looking at a different type of, of character than what they've grown up with for decades. So I thought that that was something, you know, I was really happy they stayed true to that, but then at the same time wanting to root it a little bit more in reality. Cause you know, obviously they start off as these real characters, um, which, you know, you do see in other shows too, but the backstory is kind of, I think what everybody's trying to do now. And I think that was part of what was, what was, 
put into prep was really concentrating script-wise on the backstory so that people understood where where these characters came from and what their what their history was. Yeah, that was something that really kind of struck me as the the show uh, in in its delivery because Jupiter's Legacy is is kind of unique in a lot of these uh, shows that are uh, adapted from comic books. Like uh, WandaVision borrows from very loosely from a couple different arcs, but it's like core narrative is very much like its own original creation, and the same yeah. goes for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Jupiter's Legacy is much more confined. I mean, you could basically sit down for two days and bang out the whole series. There's <laughs> right. Handful, yeah, there's only a handful of issues. So, and and you've also you've got Mark Miller, the the actual the writer of the. I mean, most most Marvel and DC comics. Uh, I mean, you're lucky some some of them will get somebody who who wrote on the show as a consulting producer. Or all of that. This show is is directly produced by the man who uh, wrote the actual comics. So I guess like that that's a whole different uh level to to engage in uh you know creating a show with the actual input from somebody who actually has the creative power yeah yeah and you know again you know, he wasn't he wasn't on set with us he was so busy but he was very involved i know in creating the show with steve um and then creating you know finishing finishing the show as well you know we started shooting about 2 years ago so it's been a long a long process to get to the release um, and, uh, I know he was very involved with, you know, how they ended up finishing the show. So, um, you know, I haven't spoken to him directly, but I've heard he's really happy. Um, I know he loves, I, I know he loves episode seven. He said that was his favorite, <laughs> which makes me really proud. Um, and that's, you know, that's a big part of his, of, of the book, you know, is the island and the whole adventure. So that makes sense. You know, it's a, something that he's probably been dying to see come to life for years. Um, so I was really happy that we did it justice and he was, he was proud of it. So. So with, with regard, I'm glad you brought up the Island. Uh, Cause the comics, I mean, it, it's, you know, you fit a lot of panels on each page, a lot of, uh, you know, 20, 22, 23 pages, uh, an issue. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of ground they, they cover, but the, the, the image of the Island and uh, for listeners who are not too familiar with uh the story of Jupiter's legacy, basically young uh, heroes in, I think it's the 1930s. Uh, the, ma- yes. the main character Sheldon gets, uh, he gets kind of like a, a prophetic, like like a vision to go to this Island, which isn't charted on any map. And he's uh, the, the show elaborates a lot more on the, the backstory of how he has to get like this expedition together. And I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really based on, on, fa- and, they're all kind of operating. They're getting this whole expedition together based on faith alone. And it, 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 it's like this prophetic thing. And then you get the awe and wonder of the island. And I remember I have the image of the, the island to the panel in my head. And it's, it's you know, with a comic, you get that one piece of art that kind of can speak for itself. And then when you're illustrating like a whole series, especially with the level of uh, flashbacks that Jupiter's Legacy went into, you're you're having to kind of put so much more oomph to it. I mean, it it it, it feels like it's almost like so much harder of a job. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we sat uh, basically at a giant like a you know round table, like a you know knights of the knights of the round table conference room for months and discussed the island because originally, you know, your instinct would be let's go to an island, right? Um, so they were scouting the Caribbean, Hawaii, um, places in Africa, thinking that we really should go to a real island. And then as the 
showrunners and the writers and directors started diving in, actually our director, Mark, started diving into it with visual effects and myself, we started throwing out ideas to each other and realizing, listen, this island based on this comic book is, it's kind of a bit of a surreal and subjective island. It's also because, you know, it's originally it's all in Sheldon's mind. So we kind of realized we could do whatever we wanted. Um, there's, you know, obviously being true to the way the island looks in the book, which I think they did a beautiful job when they first see it, um, you know, with the jagged rocks and it just looks like something kind of ominous that should be scary, but it's also kind of intriguing enough to pull you in that you, it's not like Skull Island or like to me, like when they arrive at, you know, at that island in King Kong, it's terrifying. Like I would never get off the boat. Like this island, I feel like, you know, it's got a nice beach and then, you know, it's, you don't see the real terrifying parts of it until you get into the center of it. Um, so it was really fun for us to sit around and basically come up with ideas, just shooting ideas off each other, probably seven or eight of us for weeks at a time. And then going back and seeing, you know, what Netflix and what everybody responded to. So it was a real wonderful collaborative process and it was really fun. And we actually ended up shooting the entire thing in Canada. In uh, British Columbia was, uh, no, in, um, Ontario. Out, oh, wow. Yeah. Outside of Toronto, wow. which actually has, and it was, this is surprising to me. I'm from California. So, um, when you start getting up into the North of Canada, the, the topography and geography of the, of the, uh, country becomes very prehistoric and there's really incredible rock formations and cliffs. And a lot of the sets that were designed were based on actual locations that we scouted that we ended up not shooting practically because they were too hard to get to. Um, but they were all in Canada. That you see that fascinates me. I also live in uh, Los Angeles. My mother's side is Canadian. I've spent more time in Ontario. That's where my family comes from. But uh, obviously British Columbia is like a secondary Los Angeles, like in the, the, it has the geography has so much uh it's a very popular fantasy science fiction location and i mean toronto has a major major film presence too uh we've had a lot of canadian filmmakers on to talk about uh that kind of stuff but i mean just just the ability you know as a cinematographer it's got to be challenging you know you 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 probably understandably have a have a, a preference for practical shooting for all the obvious reasons and yet there is a lot of you know, just practical, you're shooting a giant fight scene. Green screens make a lot of sense. Like that kind of dynamic has got to be pretty challenging to balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I think it's part of, I think it's also part of what's exciting, um, you know, that you get to come up with another world, you know, in camera and you're imagining, you know, what that's going to be like. I mean, you know, now we're so lucky with pre-visualization that, you know, we, we can imagine where the sun's going to be and, um, you know, kind of get an idea, but we still have to be very imaginative as we're shooting a show like this. And also, you know, we put a lot of trust into the visual effects department and we had an incredible visual effects department who were in-house with us um, at Pinewood in Toronto the whole time. So we would literally, you know, go around the corner and go sit in their office and be like, hey, you know, we want to do this, 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 and this. And they would just plop it into the computer, build it for us, pre-visit and we'd be like, okay, cool. And then we could go shoot it. So that was, that was a huge plus. Um, and again, I hadn't been on a show of this scope before. So for me, 
that was like, you know, it was like a kid in a candy store. It was just like so much fun. Like, Hey, we want them on a boat traveling this way, or, you know, we want this to pop out of the ground or we want this to happen. Sorry. Apologies. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's real life behind me right there. Um, I'm going to go in the other room there. There is somebody, uh, somebody walking by my door. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that was a, a very, very exciting part of, of being able to do, being able to do that. So was it was it challenging so i mean i kind of with jupiter's legacy you've got there's sort of a bunch of different dynamics going on within the show you've got the flashbacks which take up probably about half the narrative then you've got like the present day narrative is is kind of split between the samson family and then the the samson uh, the children and then uh, the other members of the union You've got all these kind of. There's a lot of lot of moving pieces across. Uh, I guess about ninety years of timeline. Uh, it it's got to be kind of a, a challenge to manage all of that within uh, episodes. That I mean, sometimes a few of the episodes were basically just over a half an hour, and then some were like the more traditional Netflix fifty minute fifty minute type. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh it was it was fascinating to me. I didn't realize that they were going to be all be different lengths, but I really respect them for making, you know, making the story work as opposed to like we have to jam this into an hour or, you know, vice versa, make it shorter when it should be longer. Um so I I think it's, you know, it's it's important for the viewers to not be dragged into too much, you know, <laughs> in some in some respects. So they did, you know, they did cut out quite a bit. Um, that we shot some scenes and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, they, they definitely did it just to keep people engaged and to make sure they, they understood the backstory and, you know, going back and forth between the different time times, the, the 1930s and the present day, you know, because it was so, such a huge jump. I mean, it's much harder to do that when it's like nineties to now, um, you know, they look so different. Obviously they de-aged and aged and, you know, their costumes are different and they have gray hair. And, you know, so it's, it's, for me, a lot of that came from costumes and wardrobe. Um, and then obviously there was a, a look that was created a much more sort of traditional look for modern day and then more of a antique look for, um, for the 1930s in terms of the color space. So, you know, and then also obviously the aspect ratios were different. Right. So we had the widescreen for modern day and then the one seven, eight for, for the 1930s. So that was something also, I mean, a, a lot of people that probably might, they might miss it um, if they're not film savvy, <laughs> but maybe there's a little sort of something that clicks in their heads to see that. You know, it's in my notes, the aspect ratio, uh, aspect ratio, like, I mean, kind of the beauty of podcasts, like if it was a, you know, one to two minute segment, you would never be like, yeah, let's talk about aspect ratios. That's not really <laughs> tends to put listeners to sleep, but it's fascinating. And and not only just Jupiter's legacy, but we've seen aspect ratios really uh, become a more important. They've taken on this bigger role lately in, in superhero storytelling, Superman and Lois films in a more cinematic aspect ratio than the rest of the Arrowverse and then uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League had the four three ratio. Right. Uh, which and it, it it's just so it's so amazing to like think about how, you know, you just kind of switch I mean, I was somebody who got really annoyed when Disney Plus launched and all the old Simpsons episodes were in the more modern, not the four three. And I'm like, you know, this is this is ridiculous. It's weird how as you get older like that something like that kind of starts to matter more and more. And the way that Jupiter's legacy used it, uh, you know, it it 
you know, there's the, it's a big time gap. I think most people could probably tell that, yeah, we're in the past now, we're in the present, but it, it, it does, it, it helps to kind of set the tone immediately. Like, okay, this is, this is a different way that they looked at the world. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. And it's funny, you know, like you say, people don't notice that kind of stuff, but like what drove, used to drive me crazy is, you know, you would shoot something widescreen and you'd have to watch it on an airplane in a square. So, you know, I had the opposite experience from you being upset that they took a square and made it into a widescreen or 178. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things, you know, you definitely do think about, you know, is, is everybody going to be able to see it that way? And now with streaming, they do. So pretty much it's pretty unusual that someone's not going to see the format that you've originally shot um, just because it's going to be letterboxed. Um, it's very, no, there's very few people who still have tube televisions and, but they do exist, but I'm not super, I mean, most people are watching things on their computers and iPads. So. Well, you know, that's actually, that's kind of another, uh, we've had multiple filmmakers on in the, past couple months talk about the fact that uh one of one of the more modern issues for for filmmaking is the sense that uh you're not just you're you're not just competing with the audience's attention for uh like you know watching your show versus a different show but uh you also have to actively while they're wa while while the audience is watching the show you have to compete with the fact that uh you know multi-million tens of million dollar budget go into a tv show that somebody sits down to watch and they spend the whole time looking at tiktok or instagram looking you know they instead of looking at the the giant fight scene they're looking at a picture of somebody else's dinner from the night before on instagram and it's, it's a <laughs> dynamic that, that, that filmmakers have to have to challenge it's it's hearing hearing filmmakers talk about how much that's affected their process it's 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 kind of it's kind of depressing interesting yeah no i mean it's of course we all know that's really true i mean i always hope that there's some you know loud explosion that you know makes them look back at the screen and then they'll rewind and you watch it again or something but you know i think a lot what happens a lot i mean i have teenagers and they watch things twice because they'll watch it and they will be looking at their phones, of course, at the same time. And then someone will say, hey, did you see did you see that show? And then they'll go back and they'll rewatch the whole series. So if they like something, they, they tend to watch it twice. Um, and I've seen that with them a lot. Um, or they watch it and then they want to watch it with their friends. So um, so that's, you know, that's that's a plus, not a minus, because then they're actually taking it in more than once, which, you know, we didn't get to use. We didn't we weren't able to do a television before. Um, so that's kind of fun. And I, I love, I actually really love the format of being able to watch things on your own time. And I also love the format of looking forward to something being on Sunday night at nine o'clock. So it's kind of, you know, it's nice to have both options. Yeah. I feel you there. We're in the, I've just started getting invitations to screening room, uh, actual in-person screenings. And I'm like, look, there's absolutely no way you're getting me to drive to Beverly Hills. <laughs> Just sit in a, a crowded room ever. Like I'm just, it, it, it's it's got to be like the greatest thing on the planet. Well, and make, I have to like have. <laughs> yeah, no. Make sure. I mean, if it's if it's a the the thing is still there is really something to be said about being in a room with people, and the reactions that you get that you don't get when you're at home by yourself. There, like especially if you're watching something that has humor, or you know something that's scary, or you know anything. Just hearing people's reactions, you know, the laughs and the, you know, jumping up. And I, there's just, there's nothing that can compare with that. And that's the reason that 
I think people will still go back to movie oh, theaters. Yeah. But but you know, but again, like you said, it's it's hard to run all over town when you've got to go to four screenings when you know that you can stream it on your computer. I I, I was I was I was solely solely referring to Crescent <laughs> Industries screening. I live. Oh no 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 no! I totally I I totally understand it. But it's just yeah. it is like a it is a it's a tough thing because I you know it's we talk about you know even just how easy it was for us to prep remotely on zoom and how you can, you know, wake up in your own house. And, you know, we've been spoiled not having to drive to an office every day. And it's. If the Dick Clark screening room on Wilshire adds reclining seats, I'll modify my stance. (laughs) I I think uh, you should tell them to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to get screening rooms more comfortable to get people back in for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, so the one as soon as I was I was in my local comic book store the day before Jupiter's Legacy came out and I'd seen all the series uh, I'd seen the series by then and people were really trying to fans of Jupiter's Legacy especially fans of Jupiter's Legacy who have checked out this episode who may not otherwise have watched our show or here for that uh, like hardcore fans of the comics there is a major major spoiler which is going to be on everybody's mind who who read the comics beforehand I, I don't want to spoil it now because the show didn't cover it. Oh yes, is, yes. It's the um, thing that cannot be the the thing that cannot be said. Yes, yeah. Something something huge happens if you know that it changes the way you watch the show. Yeah, and there's the, it, that affects the way you look at the characters and their relationships and all of that. As the cinematographer, the person who is uh, you know assembling the shots that that kind of subtly hint at at certain characters and their motives and all of that, was that like a huge challenge to go in knowing that there's this it's there's something big here. Well, I mean, I think, you know, especially with Brainwave, obviously we were allowed to explore that. You can, you know, from the show, you can see where he's, where his character develops. Um, you know, the other developments, obviously, which I, I won't spoil, are more subtle. But again, I think that they're there. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's so much, there's so much more um, that you can, that you can do in a book so quickly than you can do in television or in film. So, you know, I think that's part, part of the challenge, you know, is trying to, to find those nuances to keep people engaged um, and also not to give away too much. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be interested to hear what people think, you know, is, I mean, people have just started to watch it, but if people feel like that was, that was really touched on in a way that they feel like they want to watch a second season, like, is there enough intrigue like to be, to be pulled in and, and want to see what happens moving forward. And I, and I feel like ap- after episode eight, you know, you see, you see a sense of what's coming for sure at the end of that episode. Well, you, you mentioned earlier about how, uh, you know, people will watch things twice, um, you know, for, for shows that don't have source material that have like big spoiler. I mean, this show we cover uh, Game of Thrones is one of our top beats. So obviously yeah. the, that, that's a ident- pretty identical dynamic. But, uh, you know, for shows that don't have that dynamic, but do have like big shockers that kind of make you go back and gossip girl for i mean that's a stupid example but uh you know you you find out the big twist at the end it changes everything it's kind of stupid uh but um you know it, it's it's just kind of interesting to like think about how that kind of stuff you'd go back and rewatch it and you're looking for like those kind of clues and stuff and some of that's like tinfoil conspiracy theory and some of it's like no this is like the subtle work that a lot of professionals sat and deliberated about for a while and you know it's fun to kind of see where those kind of lines intersect 
Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, I mean, obviously, because this is trying to touch on so many different characters and so many different subjects, you know, season one is always a, you know, just a, a, a wonderful kind of chance for people to get engaged. And, you know, I think, you know, same like with shows like Game of Thrones and other shows, we all pick our favorite characters, you know, and we sort of latch on to them. And we're like, I really want to see what happens to that character, you know, and that's what makes you go through the other episodes and sort of stay engaged with the show. And, uh, and then, you know, over time, again, as with Game of Thrones, you know, I, I, I loved that show more and more as it, went on and on, you know, because you become attached to the characters and you want to know what's going to happen to them. So I think that that's, you know, that's a big challenge with season ones of any show is really to get people engaged and to have them feel, you know, and also to feel empathy for the characters as well, especially when they're superheroes. Because, you know, you're sort of like, oh, why should I feel sorry for them? They're superheroes. You know, I'm thinking more and more about you know how you came from uh, Patreon, kind of outside outside of the the superhero world, and about how that would kind of give you a, a valuable perspective uh, coming into this kind of show. That you know these are these are big heroes that that save the world, but but the the show itself is not uh, you know it, it's not a giant you know there's no big scene where the whole city is about to be ravaged and they fly into space to like save the day it's a much more intimate show and at, at the core of jupiter's legacy it's a it's a intergenerational family drama right that you know has all of the the bigger things and uh, i mean kind of the core issue of the the heroes is they're grappling about you know they see that washington gets nothing done they have the power to kind of say hey we're gonna take charge now and yet it's like the, the, the show hones in on the, the sort of the human cost of that to a family that lived by this like sort of rigid code. Now they're kind of sort of rethinking all of that. You think you think that your kind of experience is not, you know, the, the other shows might want to like lead with the explosion or build up to like the giant fight scene. But Jupiter's Legacy is something that's not, I mean, it has some really good action scenes, but it's not really trying, it's not driving the narrative to try and be that. No, no, yeah, and I think I mean I think that's one of the things that that drew me to to the story was that it wasn't just about the the shock and awe of, you know, the stunts and and the visual effects, but that they were part of the storytelling and that they would they would draw you in and lead you through the characters and, you know, who they are and I think that's probably, you know, also why they hired me was just because I wasn't coming from that world where that's all that's really really the reason people watch a lot of those shows, I think, you know, they want to see those fantastical kind of scenes. And I think, again, you know, going back to like what you were talking about, WandaVision and Winter Soldier, and, you know, they, I think that Marvel too has gone back to story is important. And, you know, coming off of the Avengers and stuff where it was just, just, you know, you were hammered with fight scenes and, you know, which they were great movies, but I think people also, are really excited to see the backstory of these characters. And, you know, I think there's a sense of, you know, I could be one of them. And, you know, I think that's really the reason that people want to watch these shows, you know, in that respect. Right. That's kind of the appeal behind the utopian as, as a character. He's, I mean, he's, you know, not, not really a total everyman in the sense, uh, you know, you've got this uh, attractive older man who gets the call, uh, but but at the same time, you've got the the idea that, uh, you know, he he's seeing the world through. He he was called to this. It wasn't like uh, it was it wasn't like it was his birthright. And now, 
the show is kind of dealing with the fact that he's got kids who maybe want to go their own course, who didn't get the voice in their head telling them to go to an island, and they've got to, uh, you know, deal with that. And it's it's funny, like it, one one other thing about WandaVision that I was thinking of that kind of was this universal reaction when the when the final episode happened and they had the kind of more conventional battle. You almost like I mean I thought the finale was good, but at the same time you had a lot of people who were like, you know, yes, this show was so weird at so many points, and then at the end it it it, beca- it went back to being like a more conventional MCU battle scene. Agreed. A lot of people were a lot of people were like, you know, I didn't really want that. I mean, you you said you didn't really come from the superhero world, but did you watch like a ton of these to like figure out sort of what to do, what not to do? Oh, I mean. I've seen every single movie. I have kids. Are you kidding? So, I mean, even though I, I just didn't come from shooting these kinds of shows, but I had uh-huh. seen, I'd seen everything. I mean, I've even watched, you know, probably 500 episodes of One Piece. And I mean, I'm super, you know, it's like, wow, I, wow, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually the next show I'm prepping for Netflix, um, doing a, a live action uh, version of that show. So of those, of those books, which, you know, there's so many. Um, so that's going to be quite a challenge. Now I'm going to have the theme song for that stuck in my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, totally. I mean, that's, that's, that's exciting. I really, uh, I'm glad they, they added it to Netflix not too long ago. I'm glad. I mean, it's like 900 episodes. It's yeah, the worst it's show. To, it's, it's, it's like the worst show to tell somebody to get into. Like, <laughs> yeah. I really liked it. There's a hundred. I, I'll, it'll take me about a decade before I'm even yeah. remotely caught up to the point that I'll then, yeah. you know, they'll have done a billion more. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 20 years it. worth of shows. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's insane. But yeah, so it's like, you know, same for me. Trying, can you imagine trying to prep that? Like, if I hadn't have seen a lot of those shows, it would just be like my head would be spinning. So, but um, but the, yeah, that was that was a, a wonderful thing about this. But you know, I mean, going back to what you said about, you know, the relationship of the father and the children. I mean, it's just the classic story, which you know, you want your kids to take over your business, and half the time they don't want to, or you know, one of them does and one of them doesn't. One of them's rebellious. One of them follows in your footsteps, and you know, it's just that's what I love about all these stories is like at the core, you know, there's of every story I ever get, every script I get, there's always a center um, theme, and that's immediately I know if something is not going to work is if that center theme is not there. And, you know, there's a lot of scripts that try to go outside the box, but they always go back to a traditional type of storytelling at their core. And um, I think that that's why shows are successful, really, at the end of the day. Couldn't agree more. And I mean, the whole family dynamic, uh, it's fine. I mean, there's there's like you see the farm and it's kind of like it's got uh, sort of odes of Superman. And the past couple of years, the book, they've been exploring his father and son relationship with Jonathan Kent, which is exciting. And they, you know, you your show did it uh, in in a pretty unique way, and the aesthetic was, uh, you know, it, it, I think there were probably a lot of people who who were worried that it could have come across, especially now that we're, you know, we even have a, a sort of bigger genre of, uh, you know, shows that are subversing uh, the superhero trope, like The Boys, and to a lesser extent, Doom Patrol. So to come in there, carve out your own niche, uh, very impressive. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you liked it. That means a lot for someone who loved the uh, who loved the books. I mean, Mark will be thrilled to hear that from people because that's at the end of the day, that's really those are the people that he wanted to have be happy with the show and be proud of what we did. So that's fantastic. 
Well, we'll have to have you back on for One Piece. I'll probably, I'll try to finish the, I think I've got about 850 <laughs> to go. Uh, <laughs> I know now your, your poor listeners are all going to be like, wait a minute. I have to go watch 20 years of television. Oh my gosh. But they are really fast. So if they get into it, I, and the books are fantastic too. So yeah, yeah. a lot of fun. Anyway, yeah. it's been uh, great. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank no worries. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you.